pick up your next lesson, the lesson that we're on, the faith life. We're in a series called The Faith Life, and our next lesson is Lesson 5. So if, has everybody got your Lesson 5? If you don't, raise up your hand, and we'll try to get you one if you don't have one. See if you can, Steve, I think some people need it, some over here. If you don't have uh, Lesson 5, hold your hand up, and, and uh, they'll try to get you one. Now, if you have not received uh, or not gotten some of the others, I do have some of those after that we closed, like two, uh, one through four. I, I think I have a copy of those if you haven't gotten them. They're here in the middle. We can pass those out later. Main thing right now is to get your lesson five. It's called Three Levels of Faith. Three Levels of Faith. As you're getting that, I, I want to just share a little bit. People ask me all the time about my health issues. Let me just kind of share with you where I am about that so that I don't want to keep you in the dark in regard to it. I, I've, got, I've either got a herniated disc or a, a cyst on my spine, something that's caused me to uh, have pain and different dis discomforts and symptoms. And um, I'm, I've, got, uh, I've been to a doctor and they're uh, trying to schedule me for surgery. And um, they, they called me last night and said the first available surgery is October the 5th. So that's basically grin and bear it till then, you know. And um, So I'm not real sure exactly what we're going to do, but that's, that's kind of where we are. When I started talking, though, to the guy, I talked to the doctor. The doctor told me, when he told me, he said, well, whenever you call to get scheduled appointment, your, your surgery, it'll take about seven to ten days to get you scheduled. Well, seven to ten days extended to a month. And, and then whenever I talked to the doctor, he said, well, you'll have to be out of the office about ten days. And then, uh, and then be out of the pulpit for about three weeks. Well, then I talked to this other guy who was telling me about what I was doing. He said, well, you'll be, you'll be out for three weeks and come back and see the doctor, and then you'll be out eight or ten weeks. And I said, uh, that's not what the doctor said. Well, that's what it's going to be. Yes, that's, that's how it's going to be. So I, I really don't know what I'm doing exactly right now. I'm, I'm kind of at, at, at an anxious point. I, I tell him I feel like the guy who was, who was in the paratrooper training. You ever heard that story? The guy in the paratrooper training. And, and in the paratrooper training, they, they told this guy, they said, when, they, when you jump out of the airplane, you count one, two, three, and you pull the ripcord. If the chute doesn't open, then you count one, two, three, and you pull the secondary ripcord, and, and, and it'll open. And, and, said, and then whenever you land down there, there's a jeep that will pick you up and carry you back to base. So, guy jumps out of the airplane and he pulls, one, two, three, pulls that ripcord, nothing happens, not anything. So, he goes, one, two, three, pulls a secondary ripcord, not a thing happens. And some people heard him as, they, as he passed them going down there. He said, yeah, I bet that Jeep ain't down there either. <laughs> so, that's kind, of, that's kind of where I am about this doctor and stuff, you know, I mean... Everything they've told me it's supposed to be is not that way. It's a, a different story. So I, I don't think there's a Jeep down there either. So we're, we're in that process. But I appreciate your prayers. And I have good days and bad days. And, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the good days that we have. And, and I prayed for healing. If you just pray for God to heal me without surgery, that would even be better. Amen? Amen? All right. We're talking about faith. And this st study on faith, I, I hope that you've... Been with us the whole time. If not, you can pick up that material and you can also get a CD. We, we make CDs and you pick up the CD and go through anything you miss. And we basically have, have been focusing on the fact that faith is absolutely essential. 
for your Christian walk. Not just to save you, not just saved by faith, but apart from faith, it's impossible to please Him. It, uh, it says, apart from faith, anything that's not a faith is sin. It says, when the Son of Man returns to earth, what will He find? Will He find faith on the earth? When they ask Him, how do we do the work of God? He says, to believe in Him and in Him whom He has sent. Everything in the Word of God is about faith. So we've talked about the importance of faith. We've defined faith. It's one of the few words in the Bible that has been defined in the, in the Bible itself. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines faith for us. Faith is the substance or title deed of, of things hoped for. That's the promises of God. Hope in the Bible is not uh, with a shadow of a doubt. It's absolute assurance. How, what are you absolutely assured of? You're absolutely assured of that which God promises you, okay? God's promise to you. When God promises something, He's going to fulfill it. He will never lie to you. He's going to fulfill that. If it takes moving heaven and earth, He will move heaven and earth to bring about His promise to you. So when we looked at faith as the substance of things hoped for, it's a title deed of ownership of those things hoped for. Are the evidence, the second thing, the evidence of things unseen, not seen. The evidence or conviction that there is an unseen world out here, a spiritual world that is more real than the physical world, and God lives in that spiritual world, and He works in that spiritual world, and faith gives me the capacity where I can grasp and understand that the spiritual world is real, that God is spirit, and all those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I can know that because I have faith. God builds that faith into my life. We talked about that everybody has faith, right? It's given unto every man a measure of faith. We don't know what proportion of faith we have, but we're supposed to exercise whatever proportion we have of that faith. It's not really the size of your faith, it's the exercise of your faith, because we know that he said if you have the faith of a mustard seed, a little bitty mustard seed, you can what? You can move mountains, all right? So... Most of ours might be a little smaller than the mustard seed. We might not be moving about, but don't worry about that. God doesn't want you to compare your faith to anybody. He wants you to exercise your faith. And, and God calls on us to exercise our faith. Then last week we were together, we were talking about getting a word from God. How do you receive a promise from God? Well, in His word here, this word is called the Lagos. You remember that? This is the Logos. It is the written Word of God. Every word is true. It's the inerrant Word of God. You can hold it and feel secure about it and just be amazed that you've got God's Word in your hand. Okay, but this is the Logos, but the, the Word, the promise that God gives to you is the Word made alive. It's the Rhema, the Rhema of God. It's whenever God takes this Word and brings it alive and ministers to your heart and speaks to your heart and says, this is a truth for you. This is a promise to you. This is something I'm giving to you. And most of the time, it's because we're looking for a promise from God. We've got a situation in our lives. Where we're needing God to show up. We're needing an answer about something. We're searching for that, looking for it. And God reveals that promise to us. And when He gives that promise to us, it says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. How do you have faith? You hear the Word from God. And what is that word for word there? It's the rhema. When you hear that living, alive word from God, 
It creates faith within your heart and within your life. What a journey that is. What an exciting journey that is to, to watch God as, as he will reveal to you promises. And then as you get to hold on and believe in that promise, and then you one day get to see that promise fulfilled. How it's initiated is you have a need, a situation, and you're looking for a word from God. And then when God gives you that word, that begins the journey. That journey of continuing to believe, continuing to trust, continuing to hold on until that becomes a reality and you see it with your eyes and experience it in your life. And that journey, as I'll talk to you later about, it's called the pathway of the promise. The pathway of the promise begins whenever the promise is given and it ends when the promise is fulfilled. And that that pathway can be short, it can be long, it can have all kinds of turns and dips and everything in it. But all through that process, you're going to have a chance to learn things about God, learn things about you, grow in the Word, know the Word a whole lot better, and journey along till you see God bring that to pass. And that's why and how you get a Word from God, knowing the Word of God better and better. Brings us to this section of the three levels of faith. And I hope, that, hope you'll pay attention. We probably will take two weeks to go through this one because we really need to nail down uh, this aspect of the levels of faith, all right? But each week, as we started, I've always shared a story with you from my own life. So I want to share a story for tonight that has not to do with necessarily my life or our family, as other stories have had. I'm going to talk to you how it extends to a church, how this faith life extends to a church. Whenever I was, uh, in 1994, I was called to Hillcrest Baptist Church in Enterprise, Alabama, all right? And in 1994, how old would I have been at that time, Lenny? 37? I think I was 37 years old at that time. I became pastor of that church, and, and uh, we were excited about it. The church had kind of gone through decline and had a really rough time, but they were ready to move forward. Didn't have any staff when I got there. Didn't move forward. But one of the most interesting things about that church is on the outside of the door of the office was a picture, and it was an architectural rendering of a brand-new sanctuary. Now, they needed a brand-new sanctuary. They had, they had an old sanctuary that we filled up twice, and it had been there for quite a while, and they had this picture. Well, of course, I'm curious enough to ask, so, well, where is this picture about? I said, well, what's this picture have to do with it? Well, this is the picture of the church that we've always wanted to build, the sanctuary we've always wanted to build, but we can't build it. We can't get it built because everybody's in so much disagreement, and it costs too much money, we're just never going to get to build it. So that's, that's how I was introduced to that. Well, I came in July of 1994. Now, my basic philosophy is don't change anything. Just don't change anything to start with. Well, in the fall of 1994, God gave me a promise. And it was this promise that I went to Enterprise on, and it's this promise that God gave to me. And it became a life verse for me. A life verse for me is Haggai 2.9. It says that, he says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, and in this place I shall give peace. Well, the situation with that particular church was they thought their best days had already happened, and they were in a state of decline. It wasn't going to take place. Well, God just raised that verse up to me, and, and then God told me this. He says, I want, you to, I want you to have a meeting, and I want you to build that sanctuary. 
I'm not kidding. Just, I want you to have a meeting. I want you to build that sanctuary. Now, I'd already heard about the meetings they'd had. One committee was upset the other committee, and they didn't like this, and it's just a big squabble. I'd heard all about that. But God said, I want you to have that meeting, and I want you to build that sanctuary. I said, Lord, I, I, don't want, I, I want somebody to like me. If you want somebody to dislike you, just move into a building project. And you, you, you just don't want to do that, Lord. I, you know, let me do this. A couple of years, we get settled in here, but no, I want to build that building. So I, I called this meeting. It was the deacons and stewardship and personnel and building the grounds, long range. Everybody gathered together. And I just stood up before them. I said, well, God told me we're supposed to build this building. Y'all seen their eyes. <laughs> we're supposed to build this building. And we sat there and we discussed, and they really weren't that far apart. They just really didn't know how we were going to get it done. So they set up a motion to let the deacons come up with a recommendation. That was in December of 94. Came up with a, the deacons to come up with a recommendation to present to those committees in January. So about the second week of January of 1995, the deacons came up with this proposal. Here was the proposal. That if we could raise $600,000 by the end of 1995, that we were going to break ground on that sanctuary. Now think about it. Now that sanctuary was supposed to cost $1.8 to $1.9 million. Now we're talking about a church that our giving, our giving, our budget was about $450,000 a year. That wasn't a month, that was a year, okay? About $450,000. We're talking about building a sanctuary that is $1.8 million. At that time, we only, we just had just a little below $100,000. So that meant that the church would have to give above their tithes and offerings $500,000 in that one year. I think the reason it got voted on is everybody said, there ain't no way that's going to happen. <laughs> we can vote on that all day long. Yeah, go ahead. We ain't got to worry about building that building. Well, I want to tell you, whenever God, they just said, you know, this is what we ought to do, and they voted on doing it and presented it to church. Church voted on doing it. And the first thing we did is, is that particular year, it had 53 Sundays. Every once in a while, you have 53 Sundays. I'd already figured that out. So I said, April, I think it was April the 15th or 18th or something like that. I said, we're going to set that aside. We want to set that aside that all the money given that day goes to the building fund, goes to, towards paying that. And, and we're going to set a goal for $50,000. I wish you could have been in that stewardship meeting. <laughs> we went in that stewardship meeting, and, and they... they Presented that, the goal is going to be $50,000. They said, we ain't never had $50,000. The most we ever had on any Sunday is $19,000. That's when we were taking up Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You know, well, bless the Lord, one guy, I love him to this day. His name's Charles. Old Charles said, well, I think we'll all just try it. <laughs> and, and God just used Charles and everybody else oh, ever raised a hand. So we went to the church, presented, this, that Sunday's going to be, we're going to take up offering, all the money's going to go. Uh, to the building fund. But they did not say how much. So I stood up after it, and the goal is $50,000. You know, you've seen all of it. But, but then they got excited. They began to pray. They began to fast. They began to ask God, what do I want to do? And we came to that Sunday. The total offering was $53,000 that Sunday. Now, $53,000 was a good offer. That didn't what matter. What mattered was they saw God do something they didn't think that they could do. They just saw God doing it. They were just as excited as could be. Well, that's a long way still from $600,000, but every quarter we had a goal of being somewhere at this stage in order to get six. Every quarter we met that goal. And one in September, October, one year, we, had a, we just drew off the sanctuary out in the parking lot and brought a 
big transfer truck, trailer back there, set up the choir. And, and we said that day, we had to pay a regular budget, but we set up $32,000 going to raise that day on top of the budget. We reached $32,000. Well, just to tell you, long, make a long story short, by December of 1995, we had $600,000, all right? $600,000. But wait a minute, there's another story. <laughs> While this is going on, the building committee is working on this sanctuary, all right? It's supposed to cost $1.8, $1.9 million. So we, we've got it all put together, and, and we're working hard, and we, we invite, uh, you know, contractors to come bid on it. No contractor in our town would bid on it. You know why they wouldn't bid on it? Because they said, they ain't never going to build it. They're never going to build that. They're never been, that's just, we're just going to put all our... We had to go to Dothan to get some people to come actually bid on it. They came in and they bid. Well, while we're excited and they're raising all this money, it was December the 10th we were opening the bids. When we opened the bids on December the 10th, now remember we got $600,000, it's supposed to be 1.8, we got a third of the money. We opened the bid, the cheapest bid was $3.6 million. $3.6 million. I walked across that courtyard. I don't even remember walking across that courtyard. I just thought, wow, what? That, that, that was an interesting thing. That's why nobody bid on it, you know. Well, immediately we went back. To, they started saying, well, let's just not put the balcony in. Or let's not do this or let's not do that. And I just didn't have a piece about that. And I said, I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do. I think the Lord wants to build what we're supposed to build. So we changed a few little things. We took wallpaper out and put paint in there because you can always put wallpaper up somewhere. I went myself and sat and talked to the architect and told him, you're not getting your percentage. You're going to get what we're going to pay you to start with because you blew it. <laughs> it's supposed to be 1.8 and 3.6, and he knew he had blown it. So I said, then we went to the contractor and said, would you build this for $3.2 million? And he said, yeah, I'll build it for $3.2 million. So we went back to the church and said, this is going to cost us $3.2 million, but we feel like God wants us to do this. And when we voted, it was a stronger vote than when we had voted to start with the first time because they felt like they'd seen God do some miraculous things and, and watched God do. And when that happened, when that happened, revival broke out across that church. And we, had, we were 18 months in a building program where you had to walk all around the construction site. The parking was way on the other side of the fence of the construction site. It would be the most unlikely place that you'd ever grow but we had people saved. We had people join that church and join that church. Do you know why? It, hasn't got, it happened because people believe God. They believe God for the impossible. You know what the Lord told me about that later? Why 1.8 to 3.2 million? He basically said, well, since you raised 600,000, you could have you done it yourself doing it uh, at, at 1.8 million. You could say, well, we can do that. But it says at 3.2 million, you knew it had to be me. And he said, the difference is, I have to be the one doing it. We set a goal also in that to pay for that building in five years. And in five years, it was totally paid off. Now, that's not to compliment them. It's to compliment the fact, when you believe God, when you accept his promises, no matter what he tells you to do, no matter what he tells so many of us hinder God because it's, it doesn't fit into our wallet or doesn't fit into our schedule or doesn't fit into what our goals or our plans are. Don't limit God in anything. What God tells you to do, just go about doing it, and you get to see God work, and you get to see God move in a great way. All right? Let's talk about this levels, three levels of faith. 
you have your Bibles there, Mark eleven twenty four is a very important verse of Scripture. It's Jesus speaking, and He speaks about faith. Listen, listen what He says about faith in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you all, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Look at your notes. Since faith is a response to the promises of God, we must have a clear understanding of what faith says to God and about God. This key verse of Mark eleven twenty four, 24, where it says, Believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted you. Notice what it says. Notice the tense of the verbs. In the Greek language, this is the aorist tense. In English, it's called the past tense. The verb speaks of something that has already been done. Jesus says, when we believe, we should be responding as though something has already been done. Okay, that's what faith is. Something has already been done. When this takes place in our hearts, then our response to God is totally different than when we either wonder if God is going to answer or we're anxiously hoping that God will answer. Now stop there for just a minute. So many of us in our life, we're either wondering, well, maybe, maybe God will answer my prayer. Maybe God will answer my prayer. Or, or, man, I sure hope God answers my prayer. But whenever you're walking by faith and you receive a word from God and a promise of God, then you believe that you have received it already. You get it in your mind? Now, why have you received it? Because you hold it in your hand? Because you're holding your hand? No. How have you received it already? Because God said it's yours. And when God says it's yours, it's a done deal. And whenever you have faith, you're saying, I believe that I have received it already. What did Jesus say? If you believe that you've received it already, it shall be given unto you. Now, once again, this is not positive thinking. If I can think it hard enough, if I can think it long enough, if I can think it, I'll get it. No, it's based on the promises of God. You have faith because God gives you a promise. And when he gives you that promise and he says it's yours, then you begin to act like it is so. You begin to live like it is so in order for it to become so. All right? That's where you have to live. Now, hold on a second. I know what you're thinking. I can read your mind. If I do that, they're going to think I'm crazy. If you live by faith, most of the time, they're going to think you're crazy. All right? Because people who are normally living in life with just their eyes and what they sense in this world have no idea what it is to live by faith. And when they sense somebody or see somebody live by faith, they're crazy. Well, let me tell you, just keep thinking I'm crazy as long as we see heaven come from earth to earth. Amen? We see the power of God begin to happen. Just think I'm crazy. I don't care. It doesn't really matter what somebody thinks about me. It's what they think about God. And when God shows up and God does it, they're going to think a whole lot about God. Amen? So you have to get in your heart and your mind that I have to believe that I have received this already. Let me, let me just give you a, 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 a sense of uh, just a practical illustration of that. Whenever you're in a need and you're seeking for that promise, you're asking God, God, give me a promise, give me a word, give me a word for you from that. You're asking God for that. But when God gives you that promise and gives you that word, don't ask for it anymore. 
Okay? Don't ask for it anymore. You start thanking him for it. You start thanking him. Thank you, Lord, that you've said you're giving it to me. I don't know when it's showing up. I don't know how it's showing up. But I thank you that you have said it, and I believe your word. I believe your word. Your prayer changes. Thanking God for it instead of asking God for it. Now, later, we're gonna, I want to show you why that's important in relationship to God. It has to do with, with God's integrity. God's integrity is that what God says he'll do, he'll what? He'll do, all right? Uh, just imagine this. Just, just imagine this. Imagine that your child came up to you and, and your child said, uh, said I, I want you to give me something. I want you to give me something. And you said to your child, well, I have over here, I have this goodie bag that I put, put everything you're ever going to need in your, in your whole life in this goodie bag, all right? And I've got it for you. So anytime you need something, you just reach in there and it'll, it'll be in there, okay? So one of your kids goes, hey, I, I want me a ball and bat. I need a ball and bat and glove. I don't want to play ball and bat. And, and you, you say, what did, I t- what did I tell you? What did I tell you? I told you what? It's where? It's in the goodie bag. Okay? So just go to the goodie bag and, and, and get it out of there. Well, in a minute, they come back up to you. Dad, I sure do want a ball and bat and glove. I sure would like that ball and bat and glove. What, what did I tell you? I told you what? It's where? It's in, it's in the goodie bag. Just go to the goodie bag. Comes in that 15 minutes later. I still don't have that ball and bat and that glove I need, Daddy. I, I don't have, did you go to the goodie bag? No, I haven't got it, but I need that ball, bat, and glove. Would you? Wait a minute, son. Do do you believe what I tell you that I will do? Do you believe that I will? Do you believe that? Well, he'd say, yeah, I believe. Well, why don't don't you go to the goodie bag? Do you say, well, that's silly. That's exactly what we do to God. That's exactly how we are towards God. We'll ask God for something. God will give us a promise and say, okay, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this ministry to you. You know what we'll do in our next prayer time? God, please give me that. I'm wanting that. I didn't go to my place. You're not supposed to be asking. You're supposed to be what? Go to the goodie bag. Just thank him for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I thank you that you've already provided everything I need. It's there. Do you think God gets pleasure when we believe him? And we act as though we believe him that what he says is true is true versus the fact we keep asking him for something he's already said, it is yours. That's the difference in faith and how you live by faith. All right, talk about the three levels here of faith. Uh, Look at this next statement. Let's look at three responses to God that would be called faith. Two of these are inadequate while one of them is the right response. Our illustration of this is going to be John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. Now, John chapter 11 is a story, you're probably familiar with this story, is the story of the death and resuscitation of Lazarus. You remember that? And, and, and all that happened. That story is going to provide us three levels of faith. Three levels of faith. Two of those are inadequate. And they're going to be what most of us practice. And one of them is going to be where biblical faith rests and falls in. Okay, look what it says. We use the story of resurrection of Lazarus as our biblical illustration. In this story, Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus and the brother to Martha and Mary, has become ill to the point of death. When Jesus receives the request to come heal him, 
Instead of immediately leaving, what did Jesus do? He waits what? Two days. Why did he wait two days? So that Lazarus could die. All right? So Lazarus could die. During this time, Lazarus has died, and Jesus knows that he is dead. For in verse 14, he said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, that you may grow in your faith. <laughs> They're going to grow in their faith, aren't they? Yeah. Martha and Mary are going to grow in their faith too. Because you know what they believed about Jesus at this time? They believed Jesus was the healer. Jesus could heal somebody who was sick if he gets there in time. He might better get in an ambulance and get siren going so he can get there in time because if, if they die before he gets there, it, no, no, no help there. Right? They're believing that he can help them if, as long as they're still alive. But whenever they die, all hope is gone. You find in these verses that Jesus knew why this was happening for he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Stop there just a second. This is just a side, side note for you. Why all this faith anyway? Why all this walking by faith? Is it for me? Who's it for? It's for the glory of God. I just get to reap the benefits for it. But it's all about what he does, amen? It's all for the glory of God. Look what happens next. The important aspect of this story as it relates to faith takes place when Jesus comes to Bethany and encounters the sisters. Stop there just a minute. Remember, remember this family, right? Lazarus is the brother, Martha and Mary. Y'all remember them, right? And Martha, what, what was Martha? What was her gift? Service. She was a servant. Remember what she would do? She was waiting on tables and feeding Jesus and everything else. When old Mary, her sister, what was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what did Martha say? Lord, don't you see my lazy sister sitting there and I'm working my finger to the bone? Tell her to get up and help me. And that isn't what he said. She didn't say that. I think you better go back and read your translation, Miss Ann. I think that's what it said. That's the Amos paraphrase. Uh, yeah. And Lord, do you not care about... And what did Jesus say about Mary? She has what? She's chosen the best thing. For she's sitting at my feet. So, so you have Lazarus, the brother. Martha, who's the servant. Mary, who's the one who sits at the feet of Jesus. Who also is going to anoint his feet at, at another time. I, I mean, this is their family. They love each other and they love Jesus. Jesus would spend the night at their house. Whenever he would go through Bethany, that was usually where he would spend his time in their home. So he was their best friend. He and Lazarus were dear friends. Did Jesus love Lazarus? Yes. Did Jesus love Martha and Mary? Yes. So when Lazarus gets sick, Martha and Mary send to Jesus and say, Jesus, hurry up and get over here because Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. You need to hurry up and save this one who's your friend that you love. And Jesus waits. Waits for Lazarus to die. They've buried Lazarus by this time. 
And Jesus now shows up. What are the girls going to do? What kind of faith? Now, these are people who've been spending a lot of time with Jesus. Hold on a second. They, they're Wednesday night attenders. They're the Wednesday night attenders. You know what I'm talking about, right? Surely they're going to have great faith. Well, look what happens. The most important aspect of this story is related to faith takes place when Jesus comes to Bethany and encounters the sisters. He first meets Martha and her response to Jesus outlines the three responses we have towards God regarding faith. The first response is this. I believe God can. Write that down. Fill in those blanks. First response of faith. I believe God can. Now listen to how that's illustrated in this story. In the story when Jesus arrives, Martha makes these statements to him. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I believe you're the healer. I believe you could have healed him if you'd have shown up in time. But look at verse 22. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That's a step beyond that, isn't it? It's not that you could just heal him if you had God here, but, but you can actually do anything. Anything you ask of God, God will give that to you. In other words, he say, she's saying to him, I believe that God can. You as the son of God, I, I believe you can do anything. That sounds like good faith, but it's inadequate. Listen to this. The summation of these two statements is that Martha says to Jesus, I believe you can do anything. She first acknowledges Jesus' ability to heal those who are sick. She didn't say anything about his ability to raise the dead. Did she? <laughs> no. <laughs> then she goes further and says that Jesus could do anything because of his relationship to God. Many people think that faith is simply the belief in God that he can do anything. Now listen. This statement that he can do anything is true, but it is not true faith. Do you catch that? The fact that he can do anything is true. That is a true statement. But that is not true biblical faith to believe that God can do anything. The, the demons even believe that. They know he can do anything. When they encounter Jesus, they would say, don't persecute me and leave us alone until the appointed time. And they knew Jesus was in charge. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew more about him than the people who walked around on earth. The demons knew about that, that God can do anything. But that is not true faith. Go ahead. Jesus confronts this inferior faith with the truth that your brother shall rise again. In other words, she says, I believe you can do anything. You could have healed him if you had gotten here in time. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Listen to Martha's response. Martha's response to this statement identifies the second response to God, which says, I believe that he will. And in parentheses, one day. I believe he will one day. Listen to Martha's words. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the what? On the last day. So here's the second, second level of faith. 
I believe that he will one day. <laughs> I, I believe he'll rise again on the last day. I believe what you're saying is true. Just not today. That's the second aspect, second response of faith. Did you hear what she said to Jesus when Jesus said her brother would rise again? She said, I know that he will one day, the last day. The second voice of faith is that statement, I believe God will one day. I believe God will one day. Now, some believers get beyond believing, I believe God can, to this second aspect, I believe God will one day. I believe God will one day. Now, what's, what's the problem with that? Right here, listen. There is an almost a built-in excuse for God that if he doesn't do it in time, he will eventually answer. I mean, that's what we're doing. Well, I believe God will one day. I just don't know when it's going to be. I believe God will show up one day. Don't know when it's going to be. We're, we're, ha we're having to give God excuse. In case God doesn't do it, when we think he's going to do it, or everybody else thinks he's going to do it, then we're going to give God excuse. Well, maybe he's not going to do it right now, but he'll do one day. It's like we're guarding the character of God. You do not have to guard the character of God. His character is fine. Amen? And he can take care of anything he wants to take care of. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to make excuses for him. You just have to believe him. And there's a difference between saying, I believe he will one day, and when he says, I believe he is doing it. He is doing it right now. Okay, listen. The second response is inferior in that it never obligates God to answer. God, you ought to underline this, God does not mind that we obligate him when the obligation is based upon his promise. Now, you are not to presume against God, upon God. There's a sin of presumption. Don't presume that whatever your wish list is is what God is going to do, okay? But once God obligates himself based on his promises, then you don't have to defend him anymore. He's going to take care of it, all right? He's going to take care of it based on his promises. Jesus confronts Martha's lack of faith by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this question, do you believe this? Now look at this next paragraph. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not some event out there in the future one day. He said, I'm the resurrection right now. I am the resurrection. Then Jesus asked Martha an important question. Do you believe this? Now, thankfully, Martha says, Yes, Lord, I have believed, past tense, aorist tense, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. This statement of belief that he is the Son of God and that he has authority to do all things is the threshold for Jesus to work and is the proper response to God. I believe you have all authority. I, I believe you can do anything. I believe you can do anything you want to whenever you choose to. He draws her to that next level of faith. She didn't even grasp what she's getting, but he's drawing her to this. Not that I believe you can or believe that you will one day, but I believe that you are right now. 
I believe you can right now. I believe you're doing it right now. That's where he's trying to get her to. That aspect of believe you received it and it shall be given unto you. Now, very quickly, I want you to see this. Before looking at the final response and the appropriate response, we must consider Mary's reaction to Jesus in this story. Surely Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, who chose the best thing, right? Surely her response is going to be biblical faith. She's going to have the right response. Martha had been in there in the kitchen when Jesus was teaching about faith, but Mary was sitting where? Right at his feet. So she's going to have the right response. Nope, sorry about that. Mary's reaction to Jesus in this story, surely her response will be true, but she is the one sister who sat at the feet of Jesus. Listen to him. Certainly she will know the heart of Jesus more than her sister who had spent most of her time serving. But we find that Mary's response was exactly like Martha's when she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ditto. Is, not, is, that, is that not exactly what Martha said? Exactly. I wonder if one reason Jesus wept is that he, you know, everybody said Jesus wept. That was our Bible verse we memorized. My, my grandparents would always make you say a Bible verse before you went to bed at night. My favorite was Jesus wept. I could, I could get that one down. That. You did too, probably. That's the one you chose. But uh, it, everybody, why did Jesus weep? You ever wonder that he, he might have wept because he didn't find faith in either one of these two women? <laughs> Neither one of them really realized who he was. The same women who loved him and had been taught by him, Jesus moves on to reveal his plan and power. His final words to Martha are, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not say to you, if you believe, what? Not that I can, not that I will one day in the last day, but if you will believe that I am right now, you're about to see the glory of God. Wow. The final and true response to God in faith is that God is doing it right now. God is doing it right now. Whenever you have faith, you believe God is doing it right now. As soon as He promises something to you, God is doing it right now. I don't know how he's got to put all the little pieces together. I don't know what that time is going to be. I don't know when I'm going to see it with my eyes. But God is doing it right now. Faith is not just believing that God can or cling to the idea that God will one day. Faith states that God is doing what he promised at this very moment. Isn't it exciting to think about that when he promises you something? You may be busy doing a hundred things, but he's focusing in on answering that promise for you. He never loses focus on getting that promise answered for you. This statement of faith takes God at his word and places our trust on the integrity of God. From the very time God promises us, he begins to work. That's why Jesus says, when he says, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted you. Summary. God can do all things. Amen? 
God will do it at some time. Amen? But God is doing it right now. Only the last of these responses requires us to take a step beyond theology towards biblical faith. The rest of it's just theology. God can, that's in the word of God. God will one day, that's a settled issue. What is the one thing that requires you to go beyond theology to biblical faith? And that is God said it and he's doing it right now. If we really and truly believe that, we would be looking with great anticipation every morning of what's God going to do today. What is God doing? What's he going to reveal today that I'm believing him for? Ms. Bertha Smith used to ask, she's a great old saint of God, some of the greatest preachers of the generation before me all went to Bertha Smith's place up in North Carolina, Calpins, North Carolina, and prayer retreats and everything else. But Ms. Bertha Smith would ask you, what are you believing God for today that only God can do? Every one of us ought to be believing God for something that only God can do. If you want to have excitement in your spiritual life and you want to see God work and give you energy in your spiritual life, just begin to take your life and lay it out there and say, God, what are we wanting you to do? And let God give you a promise and begin to believe He's doing it. Not will do it one day, not that He can do it, but He's doing it right now. He's doing it. He's moving all the pieces in the puzzle together. He's putting it all together to bring about that reality. You'll have a new look and a new excitement each day. Amen? Amen. God bless you. On your way out, we're wanting to pick up those cards about back to church on the 19th. Pick a card up, hand it to somebody, invite them to come back to church on the 19th. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.